Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to the Masters of Modern Podcast. I am your host, Ben Bateman. Once again, Alex Kessler has done something incredibly embarrassing, so he can't be here. Uh, you know, a bet or something humiliating that uh, he's not here. So I'm filling in for Alex, and we have a very special guest. Guys, give it up for Gavin. Very. Thank you. Should I clap for myself? Is that weird? I'm just gonna. Yeah. I'm just, just gonna do it. No, it's good. It's good. I'm so, clapping for you, Ben. Thank you, Gavin. I appreciate that. Uh, some of you guys know. Some of you guys probably don't know. Gavin's kind of a big shot at Wizards of the Coast, the company that makes magic cards. I'm like a medium shot. Don't don't yeah. don't, don't, don't sell me up too much. You I know? mean, uh, I would I would definitely say I would definitely say that of my friends that are involved in magic, which I, there are a remarkable like a lot, <laughs> uh, I think you have more influence on cards than probably anyone I know. I would think. Though a lot of former guests of the show actually are involved in that also. So who knows what I really know behind closed doors. You've got quite the cadre of people to run through here in the past, right? You've had a number of great people as guests on the show who have gone on to touch magic cards in some way. Yes, Andrew Brown was a longtime guest of the show. Uh, one of my good friends before he moved, though he's still a good friend. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, we, we actually, Andrew, we did his, uh, when he decided to leave the pro scene and go work for Wizards, I did his final interview, his exit interview from LA. The uh, talk to me about your whole experience, you know, in the magic community, in out, all that stuff, um, which was a fascinating interview for me. It was really, really a lot of fun to talk to him and kind of find out, you know, if his his rise was meteoric in the pro scene. Something like whatever it was like five, six pro tours in a row after never having been on one. And then all of a sudden, he just woke up and was like, do I want to just keep doing this? And so it was a cool interview. And working with him day in and day out, he's just such a bright, young, talented person who's oh. so great at magic, first of all. I can't be him in a draft to save my life. And second of all, he's doing some great work on design. So that's a name to definitely watch. And he's a great example of someone who's gone from the pro community all the way up to Wizards and is now working on making the game, which is really exciting. Yes, yes. And he's talking about a smart kid. I mean, you mentioned it. He's just like ridiculously, ridiculously intelligent. So anyway, not about Andrew Brown. We're not here to talk about Andrew Brown. Although we could do a whole show just you and me talking about Andrew. Andrew. I'm sure he'd appreciate it. Yeah, it'll yeah. be fun. It'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, so guys, before we get fully into the show, this is the Masters of Honor podcast. Uh, my name is Ben Bateman. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Bateman Media. Gavin, where can the folks find you on Twitter? At Gavin Verhey. Just my name. Super easy. Yeah, the Masters of Honor podcast, of course, can be found on Twitter at the MMCast. And if you want to interact with some of your friends and fans, we have a Facebook group uh, started probably by one of the users, but might have been started by us. for the admins, that I can tell you. <laughs> and uh, there's like 5,000 people in that group. Uh, it's the biggest modern group there is. Everybody interacts with each other. We also have a Facebook page, but a lot less interaction there. Um, there's a lot of great stuff there. So check out the Facebook group. You'll have fun there. But uh, we're here to talk to Gavin because, Gavin, you famously... Uh, you didn't invent modern, but you, what, is your brainchild sort of, I mean, talk to me about when modern came to be where you were. Yeah, it's, a lot of people say that I invented modern or that, you know, things like that. And, you know, I'd love to set the story straight, kind of talk exactly about what happened because it's a very interesting kind of way that this occurred. And before you do that, what is your official position at Wizards, just so people know exactly what you do? I am a senior game designer and product architect, which is a lot of words. It's kind of two categories. The first is senior game designer. The senior, meaning I'm old. The game designer, meaning that 
I work on magic, I design what the cards do, come up with the new abilities, future worlds, things like that. And then the product architect side is something new and kind of different that I work on. It's a very small, tight-knit team that looks at our entire product lineup and figures out what new things we should be coming out with. So for example, the Challenger decks, which came out this year, were the brainchild of that team. Hey, people need a new entry point to standard. We want a way to get them into the format. Let's come up with a product that is great for that. And we are always looking at our suite of products that we're releasing. So in addition to designing the cards, I come up with how the products will be designed as well so it's a very tight-knit team and yeah a great group of people working on that okay so now that that's out of the way we want to know uh the setting the story straight as far as the invention of modern uh does the word overextended bring anything back for oh, it brings back so many memories and many nights on my couch so basically it kind of set the stage a little bit when i was 10 i knew i wanted to work for wizards okay and so i have a long story of how i got there and um, when I was 20 and 21, I was like, okay, well, I just graduated college. It's finally time to really start getting into this. And at the same time, I realized, and me and a bunch of friends have been talking about a non-rotating format. There was standard at the time, of course, yep. and there was legacy vintage like we have now. And then there was a format called extended, and extended was a rotating format, or rotated every three years or so. It was kind of like a modern format, but the cards changed all the time. It was a format that nobody quite understood and nobody quite liked, but people played it as a pro tour format because it was like that other format, right? Right, and there were PTQs for it, and when that time rolled around, you played it, but no one ever really played it outside of the PTQ season. It was mostly yeah. like, hey, it's a PTQ season, let's play it. A year later, we'll try playing it again. And you know, and a bunch of friends realized, hey, there's this great opportunity for something different here. What if there was, it's gonna be a radical idea, a non-rotating format that we had a cutoff at some point, and then from that cutoff forward, you could play all the cards that were legal with a small ban list. And so I started, working on this, just kind of building my own decks and crafting them and playing against each other. And then I was thought, hey, there might really be something here. So at the time I was a writer, um, a magic writer for StarCityGames.com. And I put out, I put a lot of work into a format, came up with a website for it, and submitted an article called uh, Put Up or Shut Up, Overextended or Bust, where I was basically going to help create this format and get it played in stores and so on and so forth. So I spent about four or five months crafting this format working on everything, figuring it all out. And as we all know, the, the cutoff point is Invasion Forward. <laughs> that, that, that was the point that I chose, uh, was Invasion. Why did you choose Invasion, not Masks? Why did you choose Invasion as your, as your decision? At the time, it just seemed like a natural entry point. It seemed like a great spot of like, there's a lot of really iconic cards in there. Uh, it cuts out a lot of cards like Dark Ritual and Brainstorm, which are very much like legacy-focused cards. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of yeah, fan favorites, fa factor fiction, things like that from Invasion. And then you get you know the Odyssey, cool, some of the cool graveyard cards. You get the right. Odyssey, Fetchlands, and, and going forward from there. So now uh, you're going to get to the part of the story in a second where it gets really interesting. But just as we talk about that before we get fully into the modern part of it, how do you think modern would look if it had ended up as overextended? Like with exactly the sets you just talked about. Well, I think there's a lot of cards in those sets that would play a huge role in modern. For example, there's a little more fast mana. You've got all the lands from Invasion that enter the battlefield tapped. You can sacrifice for two mana, yep. which are great for kind of combo-y storm-style decks. All of the Odyssey Graveyard stuff, for example, you've got um, Psychotog as a big piece going yep. on there. Right, um, going through Onslaught, although it's not a big deal now, it had the five other fetch lands, and that could have been huge at the time. Cabal Therapy from Torment's a huge card. That's, Absolutely. That's a really big one. I think you would see probably a lot of people playing that card. All the tribal stuff from 
uh, onslaught as well, right? It was focused on goblin tribal and elf tribal, and a lot of that has been brought in. Yeah, since, I was just but... gonna say. I mean, Skirk Prospector just got the reprint. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously we got Pile Driver a few years ago. It didn't make any impact at all. <laughs> uh, Sharpshooter is not legal, right? That's still Sharpshooter. I think was in a core set at some point in time. I I don't know for sure. So yeah, so the, some of the goblin stuff. You know, Beast Tribal maybe could be a thing. Uh, what's uh What's the elf that you draw a card on beasts? Crossing something. Uh yeah, Crossin Mentor or something. Yeah, it's a two G two two. Yeah. Yeah. Is, Wirewood Symbiote is not in modern. Is that oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That's a, that's Th a good. That point. would be a huge piece for for an elf deck potentially. Yeah, Wirewood Symbiote. Uh, a Histrodon is not right. Or, Histrodon. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if Histrodon would be making the the red. There, I gotta say. Yeah, big, big Histrodon guy. But okay, so that's, and, and of oh, course. Oh, and the Wishes as well, of course, from Judgment. Oh, yeah. Right? Burning Wish and all those kind of cards. That would be, that would be complicated. I don't know that that would be a positive at this point. I mean, do you think that the, the format exists correctly now? Or Absolutely. I think the right point was chosen. And frankly, a lot of things we just described are incredibly powerful cards <laughs> yeah, 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 that yeah, yeah. the format might not be as good for having. I think Psychotog would be, like, would you describe to me how a Psychotog deck in modern would look, and then we'll move on to the modern point. I think it does, frankly, I think right now, in modern's current shape, it doesn't really make it. Just, it's, Psychotog's been outmoded by so many cards over yeah, the right. years. But, you know, you have a classic kind of blue-black control deck. I could imagine Counterspells, Jace the Mind Sculptor kind of sure. heading things up. Um, you know, a bunch of really efficient removal, Fatal Push, things like that. And then you kill with Tog. The thing is, these days, there's so many more efficient win conditions, and you can use cards like Vendelian Click to kind of get that instant speed threat on the board. Yep. You don't need that from back in the day. Um, sure. But maybe Factor Fiction from Invasion would be a card that could show up. You think people would play Foff? I think maybe. I don't know. A four-mana draw spell, like, it's a powerful card, don't get me wrong, but I don't know if a four-mana draw spell being instant speed... Like, Jace the Mind Sculptor has struggled to break through, <laughs> so I don't know that, like, Factor Fiction, because it's an instant, would be... I mean, maybe. Maybe the Jeskai decks would, like, just have a field day with that card, and I'm just kidding myself. It would be pretty good to play in Jeskai. I know that it probably wouldn't be the right card to play, but I know I would put it in some of my yeah. decks. It's one of those cards, right? Like, just a little one of Factor Fiction in some of my decks. It has enough colorless mana symbols that I would find a way to play it with Electromancer and Brawl. Just, I just would. I'd be, like, just curving into it on turn three. It just would feel so good. Right. It's very underrated as a way to just draw three cards sometimes, yeah. right? Um, but so, you know, some of those cards I'm sure would, would, would see play. But... On the whole, I think we end up choosing the right the right direction. Yeah, right. yeah. So okay, that's where you're at. You've done all this work on Overextended, and you know that that's this cool idea, and you're totally invested. And you were organizing tournaments, and right. Well, so yeah, so I was really excited about it, and I'd actually spent three or four months working on the format, maybe even a little longer, maybe more like five months before I decided to get the web before I decided to finish the website for it, get it up and running, push it out to the world. So I finished the article that's going to push this format out into the world. I send it to my editor. The very Next day, or within within 24 hours, Wizards announces that they're doing Modern yeah. at the Community Cup. So the Community Cup is this event that uh, used to be run every year. It was where members of the community flew to Wizards and played against Wizards employees. Yeah, right. And they're trying out this little side format, Modern, as a little trial run, mirrored and forward. And so our formats, believe it or not, were announced at almost exactly the same time, which is absolutely crazy. Had they been working on it concurrently and you just didn't know? Yeah, what I learned later is they had been talking about Modern as a potential option, and the Community Cup was a fun format. Let's try it out here and see what sure. happens. And they had a different ban list at the time and things like that. And my ban list, of course, looked different than theirs. Uh, cards like Intomb. Now, that's a card that I think would show up in Modern. Yes, in terms um, of very powerful. was on my ban list, so a few cards that, that, that were different. And so they were announced basically at the same time. 
So uh, Overextended came out. It really started gaining popularity. People started playing it, uh, even in stores. I coordinated with stores all over the world, in fact, to run events. And we had a big push, National Overextended Day. And um, I don't know, something like 60, 70 stores around the world ran tournaments for this format. And it was, it was big. It After Modern had already been announced, you went forward with it. Right, yeah, I just kept rolling with it because I felt, hey, Wizards will do their thing, I'll do my thing. And I didn't really care who was right. My, yeah. my original thing was, it'd be fun to have a non-rotating format. Let's just try it out. And whether I, w- I, my, I won, my cutoff of Invasion was correct, or Wizards won, their cutoff of Mirrodin was correct, if the format came into existence, I would be a happy person. Yeah. And so I just kept pushing forward. And so this ha- went on for maybe three or four months. Um, and then what happened is... Wizards announced that they were changing the format of the next Pro Tour, uh, Pro Tour Philadelphia, from extended to modern. Yeah. There had been enough excitement around the format, enough talk about the format, they were going to do that. And in the article, they're like, hey, you know, we're, we're switching this format. Here's the cutoff we've chosen, sticking with Mirrodin. But we re- really want to thank Gavin for his hard work on Overextended. Even though we didn't end up going with it, it was crucial for our decision making. And I know now that from working there behind the scenes, they were definitely looking at all those deck lists and all the excitement around the format. Interesting. And it was a big driver toward being able to change what happened. And at that point, had you been interacting? pretty regularly with Wizards or you still were would you still consider yourself an outsider at that point very much an outsider I didn't work at Wizards at the time I, I mean I lived in Seattle so I knew some of the people yeah. I'd occasionally tweet at Aaron he would say something back to me but on the whole I didn't interact with them in any capacity they were doing their thing I was doing my thing and I just wanted to support the game so being publicly thanked was exciting at that time yeah it was especially because I wanted to be able to get a job at Wizards and as it turns out uh, not that long afterwards, Dave Humphrey sends me a message, says, hey, do you want to take the interview to come work here? And that kind of, in a weird way, ended up kind of being an application to work at Wizards because it really showed, hey, this guy can make a format. We should maybe bring him in. That's fascinating. So you ju- it, was, it was a classic example of following something you love, doing it with as much passion as possible for zero dollars <laughs> and it turning into a job it turning in like the classic example do what you love be good at it don't focus on the money and the money will come absolutely you know a great another great example Tom Lapelli right yeah. you've had him on as a guest yeah, before yeah, or at least Alex has um, you know, yeah we, we had him early the problem with Pro Tours is one of our most referenced episodes we've ever done it's a great episode yeah. and he came into Wizards partially because of his cube construction he was one of the big people on the forefront of creating the right. cube format and it turns out creating a cube and curating a, that is a lot like creating a magic set so if you want to get a job at Wizards, a great way to grab our attention is to do something that is something that we would be doing, making formats, making your own set, and in a way that we can look at it. So you, you didn't directly invent Modern, but you had a massive role in the development of Modern from the outside, yes. unknowingly. Something we talk about a lot is parallel design. Oftentimes, two people will submit almost exactly the same card for a magic set. Right. And this is kind of the same thing happening. Like, I had this idea and was working on it. Wizards had this idea and were working on it. We're kind of in lockstep there. We both came out with it around the same time, and that's fantastic. And on the whole, I'm so happy. Modern is one of our most popular formats, and I couldn't be happier that this is how it turned out. Do you love playing Modern, or do you get to play much of it? I don't get to play as much as I would like, but I do love playing Modern. When I play Modern, I feel like it's coming home to all, all my best friends. Like, oh, hey, yeah, all my, right. all my yeah, favorite yeah, cards yeah, yeah, are yeah, here. Yeah. You know, let us brew and see what's going on, you know? Yeah, and it's still such a crazy open battlefield in terms of what you can brew. It's like every every couple of weeks you'll see somebody come up with some weird idea that somehow manages to 5-0 a daily and just... Yeah, it's crazy, right? Something I love is modern... Well, two things. One, modern is very cyclical. Like, the card pool, only a handful of cards each year are really strong enough for modern. Yeah. But... 
like the decks from last year and the decks that are being played right now look very different. Like there's Ironworks available right now, people yeah, are playing with, which right. is something brand new, hot off the presses. Death Shadow, which was huge Massive, uh, this time yeah. last year, has kind of died down, right? Yep. And it's very, very cyclical. The second thing is that at the very top level, yeah, there's a band of decks, and a pretty wide band, I would say, that are really strong and competitive. The tier zeros or the tier one decks sort of... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But just underneath that, if you go to like local game stores around the country, and I love visiting stores whenever I travel somewhere, and I love traveling, I love visiting stores there. Yeah. And I'll walk in and see people playing modern, and what they're playing and what's being played at the highest level often looks incredibly different. You see these like decks that are just a little fringy that are being played yeah, that yeah, are a yeah. blast. Like, oh, here's my Talo Wisp deck or something, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is, can still be really strong with a good draw, and people just got to get to kind of play whatever they want. And because the format has so many strong cards in it, you can still compete with some of the top decks on any given day. That Talos person he's referencing, uh, pop, contrary to popular opinion, not me. Uh, <laughs> I did uh, talk for a long time on this podcast about my Geist Steel of the Godhead deck. I was oh. like, I was so con- I was convinced that the Talowisp, like, oh, play like a removal spell and like search up your steel because it triggers and you get the aura. I was like, this is so good. You play a Geist. And you- it's just whenever you play a spell, you draw a card. What's not to like about Talowisp, right? It's was- so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Talowisp, right, like at least... You can look that one up, by the way, if you don't know it. Talowisp, great card. Yeah, yeah, two mana. Two mana fits in the CMC that I like. Uh, t- Talowisp... Though, even though it feels like it should be in the ranks of, like, Shinewind and all the other <laughs> weird cards from, like, Lorwyn, actually a Kamigawa card, not a, uh, not a Lorwyn block card. Yeah, that one came out in uh, the second Kamigawa set. I yeah, think, Betrayers, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was actually a standard deck at the time called Ghost Dad yeah. that used, like, some spirits from Ravnica and some Kamigawa spirits and, like, played these really wild enchantments with them not show up in Feeble Mint and stuff like that. Yeah, it was super sweet. Well, you, I think if I remember correctly, that deck, it would play Ghost Council of Lorzova, mm-hmm. and it would also play... Spirit, yeah, a great spirit, and it would play. Uh, was it Pillory of the Faultless or the other one? Yeah, Pillory of the Sleepless. That's yeah, the one, you had uh, Enfeeblement as a card you could search up sometimes, yeah. and you, of course you had uh, Shining Shoal and some of the other Kamigawa cards that trigger off of it. And it was a, just a different take on the black white deck at the time. Yeah, Shining Shoal, that card is a complete wrecking if you don't know it's there. And I remember that standard format was like Heartbeat was like the same format, right? That yeah. Was like a so big, and oh, and then there was also the uh, there was also the um, uh, owl, owl, howling, owling mind decks, right? That was yeah. the same format, right? Because you play the owl crane, Natsuke, or whatever. The, the the power level of decks in that format is wild. Because <laughs> you go all the way from like Heartbeat of Spring, which is like a turn four combo deck, yeah, yeah, like yeah. this crazy howling mind Ebony Owl Natsuke deck, and then on the other end of the spectrum, we've got like Talos. Here we go, time yeah. to battle, right? But turned out great. Yeah. So going back a little bit to those days, because those sets are all modern. We're talking about. Um, do you have a period in Magic's history, or a set, or a block that? to you is just always the, the warmest place in your heart, it's just your favorite? For me, it's really Original Ravnica and Time Spiral. Yeah. Those are like my two. First of all, it's a great standard format. Like that standard format, I really so enjoyed playing. Yeah. Would it still be as fun today if it was being played all the time over and over and over again? I don't know. Standard- like Dragonstorm, Project X, like those are the decks, yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, Ravnica is when I really started being a competitive player. I got like eight or nine PTQ top eights that season, yeah. which is either a very good or a very bad accomplishment, depending on how you view it, because it means <laughs> I didn't, didn't win a lot of those PTQs. <laughs> it took me eight before I won one. Um, but it, 
I love playing that limited format. I love the, what it yeah. entered in standard. And clearly, Ravnica is pretty popular because we've done, returned to Ravnica, and now we're going back to Ravnica with Guilds of Ravnica this fall. Well, you were in town, and we got to we got to play, open up some old packs, uh, do a little chaos thing. Yeah, yeah. It was fun watching everybody open these packs because, in order, you know, there was a there was a time spiral, a Ravnica, Planner Chaos, a future. There was a future side pack open that was exciting. But the highlight card I got to see open was a, an original Ravnica foil Sacred Foundry. That was exciting to see open. That's been winning that pack a long time to yeah. be open that foil sacred factory that set is 12 years old man talk about feeling old i like i was came out the other day and i was like that's because i don't know about you but i've been playing magic since 95 so my older brother taught me to play when i was seven years old and i distinctly remember i've probably told the story on here before so forgive me guys <laughs> but i remember like we were learning to play before dinner and it was like fourth edition was out and my sister who's five years older than me was with me we were both learning uh, and she was, you know, feigning interest or whatever. And after dinner, she was like, I'm going to go to my room. And I was like, you don't want the second part of the magic lesson? She was like, no. And, like, little did she know, the second part of the magic lesson was going to propel me to, like, the biggest passion of my entire professional life was magic. But so I think back to those early days in magic, and I, th- I still think of the early days being through Ice Age. So in my mind, like, invasion and masks, and th- that's all, like, late. You know, and then even in my mind, when I think about like Ravnica, times we're like, that's like the modern era of magic. But like, to most people, they just will never even get close to interacting with those sets. Those sets are still so much older than anything they're ever going to touch. Invasion is ancient. Mercadian Masks is ancient. To me, Mercadian Masks still feels like a new set. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, I, you know, I'll talk to people all the time. I'll, yeah. I'll play, be at a Grand Prix and sit down and spell something against them or something. And the question I like to ask is, how long have you been playing for? And the number of times someone says, oh man, I've only been playing this game for five years. That's crazy. Like, how many things in your yeah, life yeah, are like, yeah, 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 I've only been doing this thing for five years. Like, crazy. Five years is a long time, you know? But Magic is it's just a lifestyle. You start playing, you invest in the community, all these sets come out, and you just keep in it. And then before you know it, yeah, you're 15, 20 years later. And there's no, there is no game in history, there's almost no collectible in history, really, that has had a thriving secondary economy for 25 years. It's almost unheard of. Like, the comic books, maybe. Like, I guess if you want to say, like, stamps or coins. But, like, none of those things are a game. So they don't have any... There's no, like, community, like, interactive thing you do. Like, you can gather to talk about your stamps and your coins, and you can talk about your favorite comics, but you can gather with people to play magic. So the secondary economy is not why you're gathering. It's just something that exists. It's that ecosystem. It's, that's, that's crazy to me. I've always been kind of astounded by the fact that it stayed healthy for as long as it has. And the community is so amazing. I mean, everywhere I go, there are magic players. I, I love to travel. One of my yeah. big hobbies is traveling. I want to go to every country in the world. That's my dream. And so... I will go to the most far-flung places in the world, and there's still magic players there, you know? Whether I go to Iceland or South Africa right. or Australia, it's like huge magic playing populations, and it's a blast. Like, you get to talk to people all around the world, and you have this unified language. The number of times I've gone to a place where I didn't speak the language and they didn't speak English, but we sat down and yeah. played a game of magic is astoundingly high, and that's so cool. It's like this unified language. Plus, you have this, like, it's kind of funny. If I sit down, and I don't speak your language, you don't speak my language, we get kind of an idea of who we are by the decks we're playing. Yeah, like, right. oh, yeah, I'm yeah. playing the blue control deck. You're playing the mono red deck. You, yeah. probably, you probably have an image in your head already, like what those people are kind of like, right? Which is really fun. I was in Boston uh, a week ago. About a week ago for the pre-release. Uh, and it just so happened, the wedding I was there for, uh, the girl, uh, my girlfriend that I was with, she 
had to be in the wedding, so she was busy all day. And it just happened to be on the Saturday that pre-release. And I was like, really? You're busy all day? I have the whole day to kill? You're sure? She's like, oh, yeah. You just, just if you want to stay at the house. I was like, I'll find something. <laughs> Don't worry. Immediately on the phone, calling around to stores. Do you have a pre-release that starts at 10? Can I get in? So I find one in Jamaica Plain. I go to this little neighborhood in Boston that I've never been before. And it's like a little hobby shop. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm talking like, I mean, this is a pretty big room, a quarter of the size of this room. Like a little comic book store. And you can't see like the whole room, so I mean, it's, it's, it's really just like this big, you know? I mean, literally the shot you guys are seeing right now in the show, we're talking probably the size of this, twice the size of the set that yeah. you guys are looking at. Uh, and I got to show up. There was probably 16 players in the room. Uh, and it was like a little comic store, you know, the there was a... If there was a bathroom, I think it might have been through like a little set of stairs behind cash register and like a <laughs> cellar. Uh, I mean, it was a small place. But I showed up. The owner was this warm guy. He was so nice. He was so excited to see me there. I, like, I was like, do you have a single business? He's like, yeah. He pulls out his binder and he's like, anything you want in here? You know, it's like a binder behind the counter. And I just had this, this overwhelming feeling of like, this is what it's about. Because he was like, I grew up going to an LGS. And I just, when I got older, I just felt like I wanted to give that back to the community. He probably was in his 30s, I'm guessing, maybe late 30s, I'm guessing. But I just was thinking to myself, there's nothing like this. I've done this my whole life. There's a, there's a universal language when I walk in this place. Everybody here can use shorthand to talk about the same thing. We've all, we all learned this somewhere. This didn't get introduced two years ago. We're not talking about Overwatch. This isn't something that's going to go away in two years. You probably all own cards from the first game you ever played or the first pack you ever bought. You know, That's a crazy feeling. Do you remember your first Rare? Do you remember? Um, okay, so the early, early days, I know that I had a green-red deck, and I know I had a Taiga my older brother gave me. That was, that, that was my rare, I think. I had a Taiga, and I also had, I, I remember opening a Polar Kraken in Ice Age, and my brother being like, I'll trade you the Scaled Worm for it. And I was like, sweet. It's huge. I was like, Scaled Worm. How can you beat that? I was like, Scaled Worm is bigger than Craw Worm. It's a win. I'll take it. <laughs> uh, and then I might have been like, but you have to give me that, that uh, Trapdoor Spider also. And he was like, sure, you got it. Oh, man, you got not only the bigger creature, but the way to kill off his creature. Yeah. No problem. It was sweet. Yeah, those are. I, I have memories of those. I remember early Draconian Silix from, uh, from Arabia, uh, uh, Fallen Empires was a card I liked the art of a lot, so that was cool. The art early on was a big draw to magic. I, it still is. I still love it, but I don't uh, remember cards fondly because of the way they look anymore. But as a kid, there was cards that I literally just only wanted because they looked cool, and I just remember like like Jester's Cap. I had to own Jester's Cap because <laughs> like it was on the it was on the pack. You know, it's like always oh, on the pack. I needed to own Jester's Cap. Yeah, that's that's the thing I always wanted to do was open up the cards when I would go to a store, even play in a pre-release. Like, all right, what's on the packs? Those are the cards I want to open this yeah, time yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. The cool, the coolest start. Do you remember your first rare? I do. Uh, Thunderscape Master, oh. which is a green. I don't know. I you know do. This it's card. from Invasion. Right, it's from Invasion. See, nailed it. It's no Naya, problem. It's Naya colors. Yeah, and so this card probably sent me on a deep, dark, bad deck building path because <laughs> I opened it up and I'm like, great. I know what I'm supposed to do. Build a green, red, white deck right from the outside. And of course, I don't, I don't have the mana fixing for this, right? It's like green, green two for a two two or something. Yeah, it's a green, green two for a two two, and it has a white, white activated ability and yeah, a red, yeah, red yeah, activated yeah, ability. Sweet. And it's like I have no <laughs> other dual lands, no mana fixing my collection. Here we go, green, red, white deck. Did you activate one of the abilities, I hope? I hope you did. 
you know, over enough games, yeah, probably. Er, enough monkeys on typewriters, things will happen. You probably got like a plus two, plus two into a creature. I, I remember, uh, we, we, you know, we play this format Highlander. I've talked about it on here a bunch of times. And I have this Jun deck that's a lot of like creatures tapping to, you know, do things, whatever. It's obviously playing the good versions like Deathrite Shaman and Grim Lava Mancer, but it's also playing, uh, you know, Lava Crew and Thermo Alchemist, <laughs> and it's playing a lot of cards like that. And so er- early in the deck construction, I was full theme, and I was like, I need to play Scrib Ranger so I can return Forest, so I can do the same thing, and attack for one, they'll never see it coming, it's gonna be great. And at one point, I was like, I need cheaper things to do it. I was like, Thunder- Thunderscape Apprentice. I must play Thunderscape Apprentice. Oh, yeah. So I jammed that in there for a little while. That card's, that card's not bad. The irony of all the apprentices yeah. and the familiars being better than the masters yeah. is not lost <laughs> on me in that set, right? It's like, would you rather play the four man? Two twos yeah. or the one mana one ones and the two mana stuff that makes your spells cheaper. Turns out cost reducers are the powerful ones. Which of the familiars we're talking to guys way old now? This is this is invasion plane shift. Uh, w- welcome to an old school hour with Gavin and Ben. We'll be talking about our favorite cards from the year 2001. Yeah, do you remember which of the uh, familiars was your favorite? Well, in retrospect, or at the time, yeah. the red green one was my favorite because it was, you know, gr- or sorry, the green one that reduced red and white costs was okay, my favorite. Okay, sure. But my favorite now is definitely Stormscape Apprentice because it reduces all your all your uh, white and all your black spells. And it's also in modern. It's it's time shifted. Oh right, yeah, that was yeah. that was modern legal. I wish Nightscape Familiar was legal in modern. That yes. would be the hot one. Yes, that would be very very good. Uh, that would be epic, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, all right. So, so now we're going to get back to modern guys, I promise. Actually, I realize now that I think I, 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 when I started, the green one was my favorite. Yeah, right. And now my favorite one is everyone that's not the green one. I'm like, give me the Nightscape familiar, give me the wall, give me the flyer. I wish that the white one was anything other than a 0-3 wall. Even if it was a 0-4 wall, <laughs> I'd be happier. I'd like, when I try to put that into Highlander decks, I'm always just like, it's just not quite impactful in any way enough. Um, but in any case, I still try to play it all the time because yeah. cost reducers are sweet. Blocks, blocks are two twos, and you just cross their fingers. But it, it is true. It's like, well, do I want to block their two two? Do they have a damage spell? Like, I can't lose my cost reducer. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, you, you like to travel around and play in, in, in all different stores and all different formats. What magic do you play? Like, what do you? You don't get to play a lot of modern, and obviously, around wizards, you're designing formats all the time. Like. What does a week of magic for Gavin look like? Well, you know, first of all, we play a ton of magic at work. And primarily at work, I play some Future Future League, which is standard upcoming sets, a little bit of that. Um, but mostly at work, I'm doing a lot of limited and sealed play tests yeah. when I play magic. So that's, of course, limited and sealed, but way upcoming sets. And so I'm very good, man. If you want to talk about like archery sealed or something like that's coming out in a, a year, year and a half, yeah, right. we, you know, well, let's not talk about it now, but I, I, I can tell you that I know that format pretty sure, well. Sure, sure. Um, but so I, a lot of future stuff. And then outside of work, like when I finish, a lot of people are like, oh man, you finish work, like you probably don't want to do anything with magic, right? And I'm like, no, no, yeah. no, 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 magic is the greatest. So I do a lot of cube drafting. It's okay. one of my favorite formats. I've done a ton of cubes. Um, and then I always enjoy just going down to FNM and you know, seeing what other people are, are playing, what's going on there. Where do you um, play? What store? You know, there's a lot of great store, stores in Seattle. I don't want to necessarily pick any favorites. Sure, but, okay, yeah, yeah. But yeah. there's a, a lot of great stores around the area. And as the place the Wizards started in, there's this huge centric nexus of magic players. And yeah, right. I feel like I can go to any given store on a night and there's some somewhere fantastic yeah, to yeah. play. Cool. Um, so thinking about the cards you play, 
when it comes to like modern, like one of the, one of the major things that we all get to talk about on the show, and then we end up interacting with the community a lot about, is the sort of banning unbanning decisions, of right? Course. One of the the major episodes we mentioned is this Tom Lapilli episode, and and that whole episode focused on, as he called it, the problem with modern Pro Tours. At that time, you know, Wizards was trying to figure out how can we run a Pro Tour, keep it interesting, but not necessarily just keep the format the same. So we are gonna ban cards to make the decks interesting. And what I'm wondering is, we're to this place now where modern feels pretty stable, feels pretty healthy. Um, there's not a lot of like aggressive bannings that happen anymore. We've only seen one unbanning and rebanning. In fact, Bloodbraid and Jace and these cards that get unbanned, they only kind of affect the format. Even, I mean, it's Ancestral Vision and, and Sword of the Meek, like people kind of get away with murder. They can play anything. Uh, do you think based on that information, and not revealing any secrets, modern will stay stable for a while? Or, I mean, do you know that there is some direction that's different than the one we're in now that Wizards is 100% plotting? I feel great about modern right now, frankly. Yeah. I was just at Grand Prix Barcelona a few weeks ago, watched people yeah. play the format, and I saw such a wide variety of decks played. It feels like every big event for modern, there's you know six or seven different decks in the top eight, and the ones that are showing up are pretty constantly different, right? In, yeah. ba in Barcelona, you had a pretty wide mix of decks, and then Mardu Pyromancer has two in the top eight next week, including winning the tournament in, a Sa in Sao Paulo, right? right. And that's very different from what, seeing like the Ironworks decks from the week before or something like that. So, so much of modern is, once again, like you can take the deck that you like yeah. and sit down and play with it and if you're just if you've played it a lot and you're really good at it you might have a chance to just make top eight in a sao paulo the amulet bloom deck made top eight i guess no no bloom anymore the the amulet yeah, deck right. made it's top the, eight it's the azusa deck azusa deck however yeah, you want to yeah, call yeah. it and i haven't seen that deck you know played at played a ton in my local stores or even like on magic line i see it played a little bit not a yeah. ton right and that has to show that like secular nature modern like that oh, fell out of favor a little bit now it's coming back because these other combo decks are showing up and what's faster than a turn four combo deck a turn three potentially combo deck sure and, um so i feel great about modern right now and frankly talking with players i think a lot of people are pretty happy with modern oh, what about you are you happy with modern right now like do you want anything to change oh we're changing the dynamic of the interview uh i, I love modern i, I I'm, I'm, curious. I'm a big fan i i think modern is in a great place and and i expected I mean, I know I can't get any real dirt, but like I expected the answer to be basically, yeah, as long as modern stays diverse and in the direction it is, I think we're good. I mean, I think most people would agree it is Magic's most popular format right now uh, because it's great, because the format is healthy, because there is diversity, and if you get in, you can do anything. I mean, there's a, there's a, in the same way that standard is designed to function that way, modern's ecosystem has managed to actually create an opportunity for all varieties of decks. Even at this point, true control decks are actually played in modern. For a long time, you couldn't play control. You just couldn't really, like the, those like sort of um, velocity-based Grixis decks were like the first ones that people really tapped into. But now blue-white control is a tier 1.5 deck. Jeskai is basically a control deck. I mean, it's kind of a counter-burn deck, but it's basically a control deck. Like anything, you can do combo, you can do aggro, you can do tribal, uh, Anything. Teferi, Hero of Dominaria. We'll talk about a huge ad for this blue-white control deck. So you like Jace coming out and then him coming out. That's perfect. The card is so busted. Do you, do you, a lot of people have said this, and I have said this. I think there's a decent chance that we're going to look back in two years and agree that it's the best Planeswalker ever printed, that it's better than Jace the Mind Sculptor. Um, and granted, that's pretty lofty. That, 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 is a, that is a bold claim there, Ben. I think it's because I played it. In, in, uh, <laughs> You've cast it, <laughs> you know. I, yeah, yeah, I cast it when I was when I was in uh, Vegas, and I just was sort of like, this just seems seems better. This like the fact that it's non-land permanent that it interacts with, as opposed to creature, is such a significant upgrade. The fact that like 
good magic players play instant speed things that cost two or less primarily and that he's just so good mm-hmm. I, I don't know I mean I, it, I could be wrong Jace is, a, is an out of this world all time level card but I think like Teferi's like you know it's in standard you can get it in packs right now it's a, it's it's probably at the price that it's gonna be that's wallets in standard I'm guessing and like I haven't bought mine yet I haven't purchased them I haven't ever opened one and I'm looking at Alex and I'm like I'm either gonna be borrowing these for the rest of my life or I need to just like get these cards because I, I, I think I'm gonna miss the boat if I don't I think that card's so good I, I mean, I think Teferi's definitely up there with some of the best planeswalkers we've ever made. Better than Jace, that is a that is a claim I don't know I can quite get behind, you but it agree. is very, very good. Yeah. Uh, what per, what percentage part of you agrees that he is better than Jace? Um, Zero. Very low. <laughs> very low. <laughs> I, on the board, he's pretty good, but the fact that he, you know, maybe even comparable in a lot of ways. Yeah. The fact that he costs a mana more, though, has white in his mana cost, a little more prohibitive on on uh, on the cost is, is a bit of a rough thing. The plus side, though, of course, is untapped with two lands every turn is huge, and not to be underrated, the fact that his loyalty goes up as you're drawing cards is awesome, right? It just becomes, unlike Jace, which is like, well, if I brainstorm, he's still within, like, lightning bolt range. Right, right. With the fairy, you're just always ticking up and incrementing, which is really nice. The two of them are very nice together, also. Oh, wait. if you have them both in play, <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a plush position. What do you think are the three best Planeswalkers ever? Just... Three best Planeswalkers ever. Jace the Mind Sculptor. Yeah. Given that uh, straight number one right there. Liliana usually is the of the Veil, right? That's... Those are primarily one and two. And then you can make a lot of really good arguments. I think you can make a good argument for Karn. Yep. Like, it's colorless. You can easily go go into decks. It's just reverse Liliana. It's the same card, but it's just if you're in a Tron deck. I mean, it is the same card, right? right? It only takes three <laughs> lands to cast it, right? Yeah. No, no problem. Um, you know, I think a lot of the... I mean, I'd have to see a whole list, but a lot of the Lorwyn 5 are pretty underrated, too. Like, original uh, Garrick Wildspeaker, original Jace Valerian. Love it. We've talked about a lot on this show how those original five are... Like, some of the most beautifully designed in a cycle of magic cards ever. Like, it's, they're all good. The only, I mean, Chandra's the only semi-weak link, but even Chandra's playable. I've played her, yeah. I mean, Johnny is a little weak too, but also playable. Liliana, like, double vamp tutor, two turns in a row? Like, that's really good. That card's powerful, and, I, and I'm enormously, huge, hugely fond of Jace, baby Jace, and of, uh, of um, Garrick. Love Garrick. Would you count uh, transforming Jace as a Planeswalker? Yeah. That, that might be it, frankly. I mean, that's seen modern play, legacy play, defined standard when it was around. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Rinse Prodigy. Actually, that's another cycle that I really like is the origin cycle. Oh, I love those. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I actually think think probably Nyssa is the weakest. I'm trying to remember. Uh, Jace is obviously the best. I really like Liliana. I think she's really powerful yeah, in that, that, that sure. version. Uh, anything that references CMC to Resurrect, I'm a big fan of because it can get back Mere Superior. Um, <laughs> that's I, the one. You're like... Yeah. Mirror Superion, that's the card. I always love it. I love Mirror Superion. You and I, Kindred Spirits here. I played this this Heartless Summoning Mirror yeah, Superion yeah, deck. Yeah. You're like, turn two, Heartless Summoning, drop some Mirror Superions down. Was it with Grand Architect? Grand Heartkitect? Uh, I don't think I played it with Grand Architect. I think I was just doing doing it, Heartless Summoning yeah. and Mirror Superion. Your verse is probably better. I, I've a, my, my Superion deck was a... It's actually funny. I designed a Mirror Superion deck that... It was called Superior Burning Cocoa that I built uh, a few years ago, and I played a lot. Oh, collected Company, that's so good. It was one of the big hits of this show. It was probably the most famous deck I ever played. Um, it was fine. People adopted it. It was you know you you had three ways to get Superior in play. It was uh, four Vile, four Cocoa, <laughs> and four um, Burning Tree Emissary. So you pretty much always got him. You played Goyfs, and you played basically twenty land uh, with Vile's Horizon Canopies, and everything in the deck cost two. You just played like. 
something like 22 drops or something. Hmm. So very similar to humans, like incredibly similar to humans to the point that I think I was, because of the vials and, or the, the cocos and removal, I was playing like nine spells maybe and they play like none, but it functioned almost exactly the same. And that was a lot of fun. And that was, that was the most fun casting Mirror Supreme or not really ever casting it that I ever had. Wow, that's, that sounds awesome. It was a super cool, like very quirky deck. Um, and there was a lot of cool stuff as, as cards got printed. Renegade Rallyer interacts really nicely with Superior, and that was very cool. Um, you know, I liked I played Profane Command as a one-off for a long time, so I could get it back on the Resurrect for two. Ooh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, was, it was sweet. Um, what about uh, Gideon uh, here, the Zendikar one? The... Uh, the four mana one. The four mana one. Yeah, and maybe not best. Maybe not top three of all time. He's up there though. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. We did a top uh, a, a countdown episode at one point. We did all of them. Uh, we ranked them all, and and the the consensus in our opinion was like there's an obvious like eight or nine really good ones. Like everybody kind of knows. You know, it's like four, four mana Elspeth and um, oh and four mana Elspeth. Yeah, sorry Elspeth, I forgot about you. That she was the OG. So good before Lily, she was the OG second best. The fact that both of her abilities go up is just yeah. oh, amazing. Yeah, there was a bunch. I mean, you know, those ones. All were really good, like, and then new Liliana, uh, Eldritch Moon one is really powerful. Yeah. Um, so there's there's about eight or nine, nine or ten that are really good, and then what you start to realize is comparing good four mana ones like Architect of Thought to mediocre three mana ones, the three mana ones almost always win out your mind because like, yeah, like like even Ashiok, which is like not that good, is pretty good. Like Ashiok was like top twenty, you know, like almost anything that costs three, we started to realize just gets a higher ranking. Like, if you can land a Planeswalker on three and somebody can't kill it, you get really far ahead. Right, I mean, the cheaper Planeswalker is the better. That's why Tybalt is just an all-star. Yeah, what do you think, for, from, <laughs> from, a, from a design perspective, what's it going to take for us to get another two-mana Planeswalker? Well, so Tybalt is, you know, we made him to see if, if, if we could <laughs> yeah, make, right. make a two-mana Planeswalker, sure. right? And I think what we learned is, on two-mana... It's really hard to make a Planeswalker that isn't either incredibly weak or incredibly powerful. Because if you play him on the play on turn two, that's just going to be game-defying, right? Your opponent doesn't have a one-drop or something. You untap with removal spells. And then the air margin there is so narrow. It's yeah. razor thin. And you want to make sure that if you do have a two-mana Planeswalker, it's something small. It doesn't take over the game. I think... Magic has a lot of legs left. I feel pretty sure at some point we'll try two-mana Planeswalker. I mean, uh, again, Fringe Prodigy... Right. Is you guys trying and, and uh, really making a good two-mana Planeswalker. <laughs> right. That, that's a great example of, okay, well, there's the, the, your line is on one side of the line you've got Tybalt, on the other side you've got Jace Friends Prodigy, who is not like a two-mana Planeswalker, but is pretty close to a two-mana yeah. Planeswalker. And finding that sweet spot in the middle is really tricky. But with that said, Magic has so much time left in it that at some point we will do another two-mana Planeswalker. Another two-mana Planeswalker? Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Um, do you think you love magic as much as you did when you started working for Wizards? Do you think you still... Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I probably love it even more now because there's all these nuances of the design I appreciate yeah. that I didn't even think about before. Sure. And working at Wizards has just expanded my mind to all the different possibilities. You know, like, before I started working for Wizards, a question I would get asked is, how much time do you think magic has left? Like, you know, it came out in 1993. Like, how long is it really going to be here, right? And... At the time, I was like, well, maybe they're running out of ideas. Like, I don't know. And after being behind the scenes, it's just like, 
no, magic is just gonna live forever. Like it's gonna be there until I retire. I'm gonna retire from Wizards, it's still gonna be alive. I'm gonna have kids, they're gonna play magic. I'm gonna die, magic's gonna keep going. My kids are gonna keep playing, their kids will keep playing. Like magic, there's so many ideas. It is just crazy, like being in that room and hearing all the stuff that people are working on, it is nuts. And so I have this huge passion and love for magic now, maybe more than ever, just because I know all the great things we can do. And the hardest part is not being able to talk about it all because I'm like, well, maybe someday in 10 years we'll do this really cool thing, but there's so much great stuff in the canister and I, I can't wait to show it all off. Yeah, it is, it is interesting asking that question, how long does it have left? Realistically, what, like, what scenario could anybody think of that would really torpedo this game? Like, the, it's a physical game versus a digital game, which is one of the most important aspects of it. It's obviously a double-edged sword, and and it's taken a long time. You know, with Arena now launching soon, it's putting it Magic in a different space than it's been for a long time. You know, battling against video games. But the thing is, yeah, I love a, an SNES. Like, I love to play old console games. Like, it's super fun for me. Magic cards are like visual. They're awesome. Somebody has them in their home. They find them. They take them out. Like, they're gonna have that collectible. It's like a thing. It's like a console game. It's not like a computer game or, or something you download and you, that you don't physically see. It's in a box. Like You can actually look at it and, and scroll through them. I literally, last night, got to a party and my, my girlfriend's friends were all there. This guy was like, oh, what are you doing? I was like, I just came from this magic thing. And like, magic the Gathering? I was like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a podcaster and you know I'm very involved in that space. And he goes, really? Do you have any cards with you? And I was like, well, I mean, my, it's in the trunk of my car. And he's like, um... <sighs> Can we go look at him? And I was like, I was like, I mean, yeah, if you want to, sure. And he's like, I just haven't seen him in a long time, and I would just like love to look at the magic cards, you know. And I'm like, wow, like this is a party of like LA entertainment people, and this guy's just like, can we leave the party and go look at your magic cards? I was like, no problem. So well, that's what we did. It's like the, the love for the game, it lasting so long is is unique. Yes, yeah, so many people I know have felt, you know, start playing when they were in high school or in college, dropped out at some point, and then they just figured, yeah, the game went off to do something else, and then. I'll, I'll talk to them and they'll find out that I work on Magic. They're like, wow, that's still here. And then an, I actually know two people in Seattle who have started playing again after years and years away. Yeah. And it's so exciting for them to come back and see that this game is still thriving and doing better than ever. And what a great time, too. Dominaria, Magic's 25th anniversary. So like, awesome. It's like if you left during on a revised or something and you come back right now, it's like you never left. It's perfect. No problem. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, guys, really quickly, we have, we have a few minutes left here. I, I do want to talk a little bit more about Arena just because I had a couple questions about it. But I do want to remind everybody here if you're listening, Listening, watching, what have you. This is the MMCast YouTube. We just launched this recently. Uh, this is obviously uh, a new p uh, focus for us. We've been doing audio for years and years and years, and all of a sudden we have this YouTube channel. So please subscribe. It is what will keep us in business. Also, check out the Command Zone, Game Nights, Jimmy and Josh. They do great, great content. Uh, they have been our, our brothers in arms with this whole uh, uh, podcast race for years and years. So check out on Collected.company where you can find their stuff and our stuff. And last but not least, guys, patreon.com slash the MMCast. It's literally how we are going to fund anything and everything that we're doing going forward. That's it. If we just, we need your support and help to get this thing going. We don't advertise. We don't monetize. Uh, your help helps us keep going. So patreon.com slash the MMCast. Thank you guys for all of your support. It's a great show. Support it. Thank you, Gavin. No. Um, so, Arena. I wanted to ask this question. Um, we have a big launch coming up here. Uh, it goes public, what, in the fall, right? Yeah, I don't know if we've announced exactly when, but, you know, it's being played quite a bit right now. So. Yeah, the beta is, yeah. yeah. So, but, but I think people assume towards the end of the year is when we'll see it come out. Uh, I guess it's not confirmed. I didn't know it, so it makes sense. But uh, it is designed to be a standard-friendly format right now. That's what we have. 
as a modern guy, I am curious. Do you think that in the future, and you don't have to confirm anything here because I'm not asking you definitively, but do you think that there will be a focus at some point to try to make Arena modern friendly? You know, right now, we're super focused on getting everything on Arena touched, touched up working perfectly, get all the standard sets in and working properly, yep. focusing on the future of adding new content. And then we're kind of focusing on, you know, especially using Magic Online as a way to allow for um, a lot of that you know, modern and legacy and vintage play to happen. It's, you know, I think Arena's going to be awesome. I don't know if you've had the chance to play it. I played it quite a bit. It's really, really amazing. I, if you have the opportunity to give it a try. I signed up for the beta. I'm still on the waiting list. All right. Well, <laughs> well fair enough. Uh, watch some streams. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, at some point in the future, as Arena grows and grows and grows, there's always a chance modern could be implemented. Sure, on it. right. It's, it's certainly not at the top of our list of, of things right now because you there's so many other things first, to look yeah. at. But I mean, I'm a big modern player. I'd love to someday be able to. What do, do that. you think the challenges would be to make it modern friendly? I mean, I guess that's rather than will it or not happen. Like, what would be the things you would need to hammer out to make that possible? Well, you know, first of all, there's just a lot of cards that you have to get in there. Yeah. A lot of interactions you have to code and, and understand. Um, and then we, you know, right now we're spending our time making sure that the core gameplay experience is good. And then in the future, yeah, I mean, anything is possible. Yeah, sure, sure. I guess that makes sense. The, the core gameplay is essential because uh, I, guess, I guess that does get really difficult considering the cards that you would be putting in now, the standard cards, they're effectively cards that you can buy randomly out of a booster pack physically now. But to print something from an older set means you have to start to make those cards available in some medium, which means how, how do you do it? Do you introduce old sets, old booster packs? Yeah, because the, the secondary economy, obviously, comparing to Magic Online is very different. Right, that's like that's got to be one of the challenges in creating arena to be competitive. Uh, do you do you see arena in your mind like when you imagine the future of Magic as a traditional esport, like up up against all of the others? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, I think arena is Magic, kind of brought to everyone. Like whether you're a newer player or an experienced player, it's fantastic, and you have it, it looks great. Like just the visuals awesome, are stunning. Yeah. And you know what I've always said is Magic is a great game, but when you're playing it, there's not a lot, not a lot of like dynamism on the table, right? It's like you're playing, and it's like I tap my cards and move them forward. And if you know what's going on in Magic, it's like okay, you know, the really great game is happening here. Like I'm watching Jean Finkel and, and Kai play, two great players playing Magic. Wow, that's really impressive. And, yeah. I, and I know what's happening. But if you're less enfranchised or less used to it. It's you know it's just people moving cards around on a table, it's and like arena it, gives we, you like explosions, which are pretty sweet. Yeah, we liken it to golf. Usually, Alex and I, when we talk about it, it's like uh, watching golf. You know, if you love golf, you play golf, you know golf, it'll be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. If you don't know golf or you don't play golf, watching golf is the worst. It's the worst. So I mean, Magic is you know the the golf of, of games. Um, I do wonder, uh, and, and again, you know, any, anything you can't answer, you know, give me a politically, uh, uh, what's the word, a deflective answer, because that's, uh, you know, obviously what you have to do. But um, the Magic Online was a very successful product and has been for a very long time. People love it. I legitimately, guys, just downloaded it. My computer is now all set up. Excellent. I have my card set up. I'm ready to learn how to play Moto finally, because I'm going to start streaming. Um, but I obviously was always sort of curious about w when is the the arena version coming. And the concerns were always that how are you going to make all of these interactions, the dinking and dunking, the re reactive tap stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, there's a obviously similar game that's out there that people have played a lot in a mobile client that is much simpler. And frankly, uh, what I've always, I always wondered, like, did they make it simpler because they had to? 
So in the design of Arena, I mean, were you around the design of Arena at all? Like, did you? I mean, I haven't worked a ton on the design of Arena. I'm mostly focused on like the tabletop stuff, but I know they put a ton of time and effort to make sure the UI looks good, yeah. that the whole battlefield works, that things like tapping your mana will work, because magic has a lot going on. You've got a ton of, you know, tons of permanents on the battlefield. You've got not just creatures, but artifacts and enchantments and planeswalkers. Right. You've got lands. How you tap your lands matter. You have to be able to have priority on your opponent's turn, which is a huge thing. How do you make sure you can respond to things? There's so many layers to work on and we spent a really long time trying to get it just right and I've played a bunch of versions of Arena over the years because you know I started trying out the, the demos of it long long ago and you know through just iteration and iteration and really the whole company banding together to work on this we actually have arena play days at work where we just are supposed to everyone in the company should just take this time sit down and play on arena and just test out how things are working and we all get feedback at the end and it's all that feedback of internally and now all your feedback externally that is helping it make helping make it what it is today and I think that it's really that great iteration, the fact that we have some of the best people in the industry working on this game with all the feedback from everybody else that's going to make it one of the greatest games out there. It's the complexities, 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 uh, that you just mentioned that make it literally, I mean, that's what makes magic. Like, you know, again, uh, trying to focus on arena and not sort of what it's following, all these other esport games that are out there. But I mean, the simplicity of that other game is is what drives me away from it. It's it's what makes me want Arena so much is because if you were to look at me and say like, hey, uh, just for this particular game of Magic we're playing, um, there's no such thing as instance. <laughs> and uh, also, uh, your lands are irrelevant. Um, I'd be like, oh, cool. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> it would just be like that. What just happened? Like, where, where, where did my game go? You know, that's literally magic to me. So it's, uh, I'm glad to hear that 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 has there's a lot of time has been spent on it. You mentioned a long time ago. How long? How long ago? You know, I, I don't remember exactly the time. But we've been working on Arena for I don't know, two, three years, and then of course the ideas in Genesis, probably longer than that, maybe three, three plus years. Yeah. And then the ideas of wanting to do something like this have been around for a long time, and just getting all the right people into place, figuring out how we were going to do it, what our goals were, and assembling the team. And we have a huge digital studio in house, all working on making this game, and it is awesome. Like walking down, so I. In R&D, we work on the third floor. Yep. And the second floor is where the digital team sits. And so walking down and just going to that team, the energy level is so high. Everyone's really excited about what they're doing. Yeah. The passion behind this product is so extreme. And it's just, it's wonderful. Like, it's not that, it's not that it isn't that way other ways in the company. Of course. But it's just, everyone's so excited to launch this new thing and working together to make quick iterations and, and change things on, on the client. And I've been just amazingly impressed with what they've been able to do in, frankly, a short amount of time. They made some really cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a large endeavor to, uh, to come up with it. I mean, uh, Magic is such a complicated game, as you noted, that programming all that stuff in and getting all the timings just right uh, takes a lot of time and effort, and, and they've done an amazing job on it. Do you think, uh, and again, be, be as deflective as you need to be, do you think that uh, as it enters more of that esports space, we will see more support from Wizards, from Hasbro, in the sort of like, I guess like the prize support, like making it a little bit more competitive with those esports games, because obviously the prize purses now with everything from, I mean, I, whatever, all these other games, they're they're very large. There's that's a massive, massive thing on Twitter is like this guy won five hundred grand, this guy won two million dollars. Like people know that esports is big money, so I'm curious if uh, if we think that Magic will be competitive in that space eventually. I think our big focus now is getting Arena launched and ready and ready to go, and then once it's out, we can look at how to expand the plans going forward. You know, I mean, really. There's a, and the whole OP system is always changing and shifting around. Course, We're looking yeah. at stuff, and the introduction of Arena means there's all kinds of new possibilities. So let's see what happens. Yeah.
Excellent, excellent. Um, all right, guys, I think we are officially running out of time. Gavin has been graceful enough to give us uh, his full attention. So, Gavin, I appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, it's uh, been, a, been a pleasure. Yeah, one more time. Where can the folks uh, find you? At Gavin Verhey, just my name. Super easy. There's no underscores or hyphens or anything? No, I mean, I got a unique name, I guess. I got to Twitter early, got it locked in. Yeah. And if you just Google it, you can probably find it on all your favorite social media websites, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, not MySpace, but you know, like most yeah, of them. Yeah, so yeah, you'll yeah, be MySpace. Good. <laughs> you guys can find me at ben. You'll be in my top eight, no problem. Thank you, I appreciate that. You guys can find me at Ben Baby Media, Twitter, Instagram. You can find the podcast at the MMCast. You can find my co-host, Alex Kessler. He'll be back next week at Kess Wiley. Check out Battle Bosses, guys. Uh, it's an awesome game from Kess Games. Coming out soon. The Kickstarter launches very, very soon. It would be like combining magic and miniatures. It's super, super fun. Uh, I'm a big fan. We test it around the office all the time. So be ready for that Kickstarter to launch. And uh, I think that pretty much pretty much wraps us up. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll be back same time, same place next week. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, everybody. See you guys. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMCast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator.